Welcome, friends, to The Future Belongs to Creators. This is a podcast about the creator economy by and for creators. And today we are joined by one of my design YouTube friends. I'm very excited to have her here. Uh, Sarah Brunatini is a design content creator. I don't know how long ago we met Sarah, but it's, I don't know, we've been hanging out online for many years, despite never having met in person, I don't think. Not yet. Not yet. There we go. Yeah, I like to be hopeful. Tara is uh, originally from Italy, now lives in Brighton, England. And we're going to talk to her today about what it's like to be a creator who doesn't speak English as their first language. Clearly, she speaks English very well, but also doesn't live in the US either. I feel like so much of the internet is very US centric. And as a fellow, someone who doesn't live in the US, non-US person, I'm excited to have Sarah on to talk about the experience of that. But first, as always, we have our Have You Heard section. And uh, I forgot to say for the audio listeners, I'm joined by Haley and Miguel. Yeah, I'm here. My regular co-host. There we go. They exist too. And uh, Miguel, you want to kick us off with your Have You Heard? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So today I'm going to talk about Snapchat. Ooh, not Instagram or Twitter for once. Not Instagram <laughs> or Twitter or TikTok. Snapchat's a thing still? Or is it just their filters? I'm glad you said that because apparently... Snapchat has hit 1 million paying subscribers Wait, for their paid tier. Yeah. A million people are paying Snapchat money. They have a paid tier and a million people are paying for it. That is correct. They're all paying just for the filters. Well, let me tell you what you get when you pay Snapchat for their service. So okay. first of all, Snapchat Plus, as it is called, is after six weeks that it was officially unveiled, they have an impressive 1 million subscribers. So Twitter Blue, for comparison, has reached 500,000 subscribers, and they already want to charge more for that service. Snapchat Plus, what it gives you is priority story replies, which means like your replies are more visible to Snapchat stars. Okay. So you kind of get priority views for those people. So you get a po what they call post view emoji, where you pick an emoji that you want friends to see after they view your snaps. So it's like a signature way to sign off of your snaps. Okay. You get uh, new Bitmoji backgrounds, new app icons, which I think is super lame. It's like just you can get to choose the icon on your phone home screen that is a Snapchat icon. And that's it. Uh, that's all you get. And a million people are like, hell yeah, give me that. Here's my money. Wait, how much does it cost per month? It costs... $3.99 a month. Wow. So for $4 a month, or, you know, if you want to extrapolate that to, let's say you pay over it for the course of a year, that is what, four times 12.48, right? So 50 bucks a year, and you get the things I just listed off. And that's a million, easy math there, $4 million a year, six weeks after launch is what Snapchat is making for these four features. I thought one. Well, isn't it $4 million a month? Yeah. Oh yeah, you're right. Shit. So 48 million <laughs> a year, assuming people keep it for a year. Sorry. Right. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. But still, holy crap. Yeah. So um, that seems like a pretty lackluster offering for the fact that a million people have decided to pony up the cash for it. You know what though? It shows that they know their user base. I don't understand it. I wouldn't pay it. I also don't use Snapchat. So if there's a million people willing to pay it Good point. and that that means like maybe protects them a little bit from becoming like Instagram and being just like totally ad, ads have overtaken and like everything is for the ad, ad revenue now. 
then maybe it's a good thing for Snapchat. I don't um, use Snapchat either, which is why for those of you that are watching or joining us on the video version or watch this later, I literally, as Miguel was talking about Snapchat, got a Snapchat notification on my phone (laughs) and I don't use it. So I don't know how How (laughs) one of my sneaky children. Also, you're paying $4 a month and you don't know it. You might want to check. (laughs) I'm apparently I'm contributing to the $4 million a month user, but there's that theory about phones are always listening. I know it's been debunked, but Mm. even through the headphones, they heard it. (laughs) What you got for us, Haley? I am here to share. um, Actually, we were just talking before we went live about how Instagram is now a video tool and uh, pretty much every app is going to follow suit or not that Instagram launched that. But LinkedIn is following now and they had just added a feature. As most of you probably know, LinkedIn has done a pretty good job of catering to the creator community because that's the creator economy is where the future is. And they just added a feature that allows you to add clickable links to images or videos, which I actually think for LinkedIn is really helpful for creators because there's just not that many people that are doing it yet. So it's not overloaded. And yeah, so I thought that was a cool, a cool new feature. They acquired a tool called Jump Rope that was kind of utilized by creators maybe a year or so ago. And I have a casual relationship. Like I know him as an acquaintance with their head CEO and he's heading up the the video space or the video tool uh, functionality on LinkedIn. And so I'm sure there's going to be more features that are coming out. That's what I got. Nice. I still feel like I need to get on LinkedIn given my audience as a creator, right? Is very like... Mm-hmm professional development focused in your career as a designer. I don't know. Are you doing content on LinkedIn, Sarah? Is that a thing you're paying attention to? I am not. A few years ago, I was getting into creating content just for LinkedIn and I gave up. I think it lasted like a couple of weeks. Mm. It's just too corporate for me. Mm. (laughs) Yep. I feel like I've been seeing it become slightly less corporate, maybe only in the past year. That's why that's what's got my mind thinking about trying it. Yeah. But maybe that's why it's a good opportunity for you to jump in now. True. You know, before, I mean, they are making no different than everyone else. They're making a lot of effort to cater to the creator community and it takes off. Maybe it takes off, maybe it doesn't. But I feel like in my feed, I don't see corporate, a lot of corporate stuff on LinkedIn anymore just because of the people that I follow, because now you Hmm. can add yourself as a creator on LinkedIn. So you don't connect with them, you follow them. And it's just an additional place. And so I think, I think there's opportunity there. Yeah, definitely. I've seen many content creators repurposing content uh, for Instagram, uh, on Twitter, on LinkedIn. So yeah, basically using the same content. Which is a good shout if you want to speed up your process and post everywhere. You can also use one of these tools that repost stuff on different platforms. Yeah. Okay. So we're going to pay attention to LinkedIn and maybe we can follow up in a future episode about that. But my quick little have you heard today, I'm going to use it to give a shout out to a creator who I've been following for a while. He's been a previous guest on this show. Jay Klaus hit his annual goal, right? Annual goal for the number of members he was hoping for to join his creator community, which is called The Lab. And it is only August and he's hit this annual goal already. And I'm just, I feel like I'm seeing more and more people who I follow joining in and like raving about it every day. So I just wanted to give a little shout out to Jay and say congrats on hitting that goal and creating something that is clearly so valuable for creators that like they're flocking to join it. 
So well done to Jay. Yeah, we like Jay. But let us move focus. We like Jay. We like Jay a lot. <laughs> Let's move focus over to Sarah. And how about we start by you introducing your creator business? What do you create? What are your main streams of income? Give us the lay of the land. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, first, thank you so much for having me here. I listen to your podcast every week Aww. during the morning when I go for a run. And it's one of my favorite because I just love talking about the creator economy. So a little bit about me. My main uh, channels, uh, I guess, are YouTube and Instagram. It's like I create content for these platforms. But over the past few years, my business has evolved. I started to do more mentoring. But going back at my my first type of content uh, was uh, video. So I've been making videos about uh, my life as a designer, kind of like you, Charlie, like daily vlogs, uh, like little stories and content that is more educational, um, is more about product and UX design. But lately, recently, I've been trying to keep it more like about design in general, mm. how to bring more design into your life. And yeah, my primary, my audience, I guess, are people who want to get into UX and product design in this space, but also professionists, um, someone that just want to level up their skills uh, because my videos are not just for beginners, uh, sometimes are for experts like my level, uh, kind of. I hope to be an expert. <laughs> you are, you are. Give yourself some credit. <laughs> <laughs> and I've been creating content for a couple of years, precisely since uh, the beginning of the lockdown when uh, I had no excuses. I wanted to start uh, making videos on YouTube for forever because I've been watching People like you, Charlie, uh, Ran Segal, The Future, and other really cool uh, YouTubers. And I wanted to have my channel as well, but I've always been pushing it back because, you know, friends, uh, work, commuting to the office takes so much time. And then lockdown hit and I had plenty of time <laughs> for creating content. And this is when I got started. And yeah, my main streams of income, I will say the main one, the majority is uh, collaborating with brands. So I create uh, videos, dedicated videos for brands, but more recently I started to do more like sponsored video where maybe I talk um, for a minute or so about uh, a product on my video and then I choose the topic. It's just easier and more fun for me as well and less time confusing, uh, consuming. <laughs> and... Uh, Another source of income is mentoring. I've been mentoring other designers and they usually find me through YouTube and Instagram. So we're following this path. I post this during the summer, obviously, to enjoy the nice weather. But it's something that I want to keep doing um, later this year. And then my last uh, source of income, I'm telling you from like the biggest one to the smallest one. Okay. AdSense is also important to mention, even if it just covers me the, the cost of like maintaining my side business. So, you know, paying uh, my softwares uh, and all that stuff. So these are my main free ones. In the past, I did some freelance work and I found clients through YouTube and Instagram, but I don't do that anymore. Because I, I forgot to mention, I do everything on the side because I have a full-time job. Just like <laughs> So me. I need to find a balance. <laughs> That's awesome. And so when you started creating content, like it's in the lockdown, you're deciding you're finally going to do this. How did you decide to create it in English rather than in Italian? 
Oh, yeah, that's a good question because I've been procrastinating on this for, I would say, like a, more than a year. What type of content I want to do? I want to create something in English, but I don't feel comfortable. So my first uh, two videos uh, were in Italian because it was easier for me. It was like a good starting point, uh, something like, you know, easier. But it, honestly, my very first videos, I never published them because they were super cringe <laughs> and they were in Italian. And I, I try to um, film something in English and I just, nope. And then I film something in Italian. It's just easier. It was just easier for me to just overcome that initial block of, oh my God, I'm going to film something and share it on YouTube. That's scary. And then uh, my third video was in English. I feel like, um, because I prepared the script in advance uh, with the help of my boyfriend. Uh, my boyfriend is British. So he's always been helping me <laughs> with like writing the script. And yeah, because I practice already, like my videos, you know, in Italian, I was more comfortable. And so, yeah, uh, another reason for uh, switching, uh, for trying in English was uh, that the majority of the people that were watching my videos uh, came from my Instagram, which at the time was a lot bigger. Maybe I had like 5,000 followers, maybe even less, to be honest. And they were asking, they were all, everybody spoke English, just a small percentage mm. was Italian. So they were asking for some content in English. So, you know, so we can understand. I feel like, they, I think they were using subtitles, like the... The auto-generated ones? Yeah, <laughs> which didn't work out very well. But yeah, so I think like lots of the credits come from my boyfriend who helped me a lot <laughs> with preparing the scripts. And this is how I got started with creating content in English. And honestly, I've been enjoying it even more. It's actually a lot easier for me now to talk about design in English because I've never done it. Italian, <laughs> I work, we, we just speak English. So it's a lot easier now. <laughs> That actually got me thinking. There's a we have a coworker. Her name's Julia, and she's Italian as well. And uh, she has been doing a travel blog now for several years. And the way that she does her stories on Instagram is she'll say the same thing, but she'll have the English captions, and then she'll have the Italian captions mm. in two different parts of the photo. So I guess there's enough of her audience that she feels that she would be alienating if she did it all in English. And then the same would be true in the reverse if she did it all in Italian. So I think that's maybe one approach that you could have is to do it in both at the same time. But obviously there's like pros and cons to doing it like that. Have you ever thought about doing content like that that was kind of serving both languages? Or do you find it more comfortable to just pick a lane and stay in there? Yeah, that's a good question. So the way I'm and I'm creating my videos now is I create the videos in English, but I add Italian subtitles uh, and they're not oh, the cool. ultra generated ones. I pay someone that translates the videos for me and not just, um, you know, the captions, but also the title, the video description. Mm. I don't do it by myself because it's just really boring. <laughs> <laughs> and yes, yeah, so far it's been good, but um there are, uh, I think, 10% of my audience uh, is from Italy, and they're always asking for dedicated content in, it in Italian. So I just say, well, you can just click on the add your, your subtitles and uh, try to figure out what they say. It's not going to be the same experience, but it's better than nothing. And I wonder if in the future we will have the ability to just 
translate there would be like an AI mm. to translate your voice. I think it like, can be very interesting, but also quite creepy. <laughs> but <laughs> maybe it's something that we will do in the future. Who knows? Yeah. yeah. I've also wondered about if YouTube could let us upload two audio feeds as well. Mm. Just like, you know, I could record a video in Spanish. It would be terrible. I can't talk about design in Spanish. <laughs> but, and then just upload the audio feed and they can pick which, which feed they want to listen to. <laughs> when Charlie, a few years ago, Charlie and I were in France and she was mixing her Spanish and French. It was fantastic. It still happens. Yeah. <laughs> Oh man. Yeah. But I'm I'm curious how you think it's impacted you to so you chose to make videos in English with English as your second language. How has that impacted you as a creator? Like do you feel like it's impacted your your growth at all or like the opportunities that you've gotten? Oh, it's definitely been more challenging. And uh, to talk about this, I need to tell you a bit more about my background uh, because I, I've been living in the UK for six years now. But previously I didn't speak English very well. I know it, it's embarrassing, no, it's but I've always refused. Uh, I wasn't interested. I've always been more like the creative type. Like I want to do my art. Uh, when I create stuff. I don't want to learn another language. It's boring. And uh, yeah, I did regret it a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so I would tell all my, you know, Italian friends to just learn English as quickly as possible. It opens more, more doors. But um, yeah, it's been a very challenging because even when I moved to the UK six years ago, I spoke like very basic English and even like taking the bus or ordering at the restaurant was really challenging for me. And uh, yeah, I had to like learn a lot. But when I was in like this situation, so this is where I, I started to learn and it didn't take me uh, a lot to become comfortable. I think I got my first job, uh, like a full-time job, just after a couple of months. So yeah, that was a good experience. Now, I feel like when I started out on YouTube, uh, I was in England for four years. So I feel like I learn, like I learn new things every day. <laughs> but uh, my English of four years ago wasn't as good as today. Mm. And uh, it was challenging. I was looking at other creators uh, and thinking, oh, I want to say this like, cool stuff. And uh, like, I couldn't find the words. It just didn't sound right. So yeah, it's been, it's been challenging, but, um, it also came, um, you know, with its benefits as well, because uh, I feel like, uh, even like having an accent has helped me differentiate from uh, other creators. I get lots of comments about my accent. This is probably like the challenging part for me of, this, of being on YouTube. Cause sometimes it's cool, but when you, when you read the same comments, like five times a day, it's a bit too much. I know some people, you know, some people are just on YouTube there to troll. We need to find uh, that aspect uh, where people can take the piece of you. But it's never been a big uh, problem. And I don't think it was a blocker for like uh, getting more opportunities. I feel like I had the same treatment of other creators, really. And uh, yeah, last uh, thing I wanted to say. Yeah, I think it also gave me strength uh, because just... Moving to a new country where you don't speak the language and everything is really difficult. You want to even like be on YouTube. That's like a lot harder for you. And I don't know, Charlie, if it's the same for you, but living in a country where it's not your first language is very challenging. Oh, yeah, I totally agree. And what you were saying about, you know, getting started and the confidence and all that. 
I don't think I could have a YouTube channel in Spanish because I can't like let my personality shine in Spanish. Mm. Like I can say things, but I can't like make jokes and be funny and like, I don't know, be myself. And that's like, I guess, um, a challenge when you're learning a new language, right? It's not only communicating, but like communicating with personality on it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I feel that the same. Like uh, I'm always careful, like making jokes. Uh, so yeah. <laughs> I feel the same. Yeah, I wish. I think it's one of these things that will take time. Mm. And the more I do it, the more I practice, the better I get. But it's definitely true. Like uh, you're, you kind of change personality. Yeah. Yeah, you're definitely a different person when you're... I've had this experience. So I had started learning English when I was about six or seven years old. And originally I was uh, just spoke Spanish. And then... I have like vivid memories of growing up and being teased for having an accent. And I was young enough where that kind of went away and now I just sound American. <laughs> and the irony is now that when I speak Spanish, I have a little bit of a American accent. So it's kind of flipped the other way. But when I visit family and I'm speaking Spanish, I find very limited in my ability to express myself because it's not my dominant language anymore. I am conversational. I am fluent. I can write in it. I can speak it. But I'm not me, as I would describe myself when I'm in a room full of English speakers. Like, I'm much more timid. I don't talk as much. Uh, I'm less confident about telling jokes or being funny because there's a lot of nuance and things like that. And if you miss that nuance, something that's funny in Spanish is not funny in English and vice versa. So you have to be very calculated and I'm not a very calculated person. So by definition, it's not me when I'm in a room full of Spanish speakers and I'm trying to tell a joke and it just like flops. I'm like, well, yep, that's pretty much how I expected it to go. So, And if you don't know Miguel, he is always telling jokes. <laughs> I can't imagine a Miguel who's not telling jokes. <laughs> oh yeah, no, just a very quiet, introverted Miguel in the corner is what you get. Uh, but it's, it's funny because... So language, it's one thing to be conversational, but then you're also trying to create in that atmosphere. So I just find that to be really relatable because if I can't even feel comfortable or myself in a room of other people because I'm limited by my ability to express myself, imagine having to create under that restriction. You always probably feel like it's not fully you who is in that content. And as a creator, creators want what they create to be them. You want it to be very quintessentially them and their own brand. So I just find that fascinating that it's such an extra challenge to be your authentic self when it's like twice the work just to just to exist in that language. Yeah, totally. Yeah. But we also have to consider that even like different countries uh, that speak English, uh, they have completely different jokes. Yes. <laughs> Phrases and sayings and things. Yeah. And senses of humor. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I'll say this, Sarah, a few minutes ago, you said it was really embarrassing that you didn't know English. What I think is really embarrassing is that out of the four of us, I'm the only one that doesn't have a second language. That's the actual <laughs> embarrassing thing here. Because I'm like, okay, Miguel's got English and Spanish. Sarah, you can speak Italian and English. Charlie's got like a, a myriad of like 12 languages that she can speak. Uh, well, I could guess I could count in like 12 languages, but... <laughs> <laughs> 
That's it. My French teacher, Mr. Woolman, is not proud of me right now. I will tell you <laughs> that much. <laughs> I'm curious what specific advice you have for multi or bilingual creators out there on choosing a dominant language, or if you think that choosing a dominant language is actually necessary. Was there something that you evaluated, like when you were looking at your audience size, or even evaluating the brands that you wanted to work with, whether they were based in the US or they were based elsewhere? But do you think it's necessary to choose a dominant or can you be equally, you know, kind of equal there? Yeah, great point. The reason, like one benefit of speaking English, uh, at least for me, is I can connect with other brands and all the brand uh, collaborations I got are because of my content is in English. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, I see many, I see content creators in Italy getting lots of views because the market is not saturated, especially in my niche, like product UX design. Nobody's creating content in Italian. So that would be a great opportunity to be like uh, the only one creating this type of content. Uh, but at the same time, I'm also excluding a big audience. And I feel like the reason I'm choosing English as main language for my content is also because I live in England. Mm. If I was in Italian, maybe it would be different. But yeah, there are so many content creators who speak their native languages and they get so many views, they're super successful and all the content they create is in English. One exception is in, sorry, in their language. One exception is mentoring because with mentoring, I can mentor in Italian, in English. And um, yeah, even with this regards, we need to consider, you know, the type of audience because I can charge a lot more to someone that lives in the States, in the UK, but Italy, the market is very different. So I mm. tend to give discounts because I know salary wise, there's a massive difference. Mm, I love that. In fact, I think Charlie, you might be able to speak to this a little bit better, but I feel like David on our team, who's from South Africa, it was really important for him to like, he loved the idea of the creator economy because of the opportunities that it gave people in South Africa that they wouldn't otherwise get because of both the economy there and the salary. What is the economy like, the creator economy like in Italy? And is that like a special place to be able for you to like serve that community? As you said, you gave discounts to that kind of community because of uh, salary discrepancies and so on and so forth. But how do you feel about that? Yeah, there are uh, there are many cool uh, content creators. I don't know if there are uh, many because I follow the ones with like the most uh, followers, subscribers on YouTube. I think there is yeah, there is definitely a lot of potential, and also the the you know like the content creator is becoming bigger and bigger in Italy because all these trends that arrive in the States and then in the UK, and then we arrive in, Le- in Italy later on. And yeah, I follow a lot of, uh, a few content creators in Italy and we are all doing amazing job, lots of views, lots of followers. Uh, I mean, at least I think we're really successful and maybe it's something I will explore in the future. I'm not going to lie. I love it. You know, like I dream a life where I can split my time between Italy and UK, where I can just go to Italy he talks, um, courses, uh, and all these kind of activities, maybe in the future. But yeah, it's an interesting one. Maybe you're setting up for that by offering mentoring in Italian now, right? You're building up like a list of people who uh, are learning from you already just in that one-to-one setting. And I think it's really smart that you can, like that is an easy way for you to offer both languages because it's a one-to-one experience and you can just speak a different language depending on what the, the person wants. Yeah, absolutely. And if I spoke Spanish, uh, Portuguese, that would be fantastic. (laughs) 
yeah, you could be the like multilingual design mentor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I know the topic of this is all about English speaking and especially as a second language, but I wanted to know if my instincts are right on this. Do you find that the fact that English is your second language, and as you said, people point out that you have an accent and things like that, do you find that that sometimes overshadows the work that you're trying to do? What I mean by that is they're more focused on the fact that you are an Italian person doing what you're doing instead of what it is that you are doing. Like, do you find that it is distracting or do you find that it is more of a benefit? What has been your experience? Yeah, that's a good shout. Yeah, I think it's uh, sometimes it's distracting because uh, I think, you know, you're not valuing the type of content I'm creating. I've been talking about UX uh, career paths for like uh, for like 10 minutes and all you can remember is my accent. Yeah. Like, the only thing you can point out. Yeah, so sometimes uh, it can be distracting, but at the same time, I know that there will always people that point out at uh, our personality that don't care about the content. I feel like if you don't care about the content, fine. You're not going to leave a comment anyway. If you want to leave a comment about my accent, cool, because I get more comments <laughs> and they promote my videos. Yeah, that helps the algorithm. <laughs> so yeah, exactly. It's good for the algorithm. So yeah, keep writing it. <laughs> Is your experience similar to that, Charlie? Like obviously, in, you know, to English speakers, you have an accent or, you know, yeah. you have pink hair and whatever so like do you do people like comment on the things that are like is it frustrating as a creator to be like cool i just made a 10 minute video on design and all you had to say was i like your hair it's like you're killing me like what, what is that like <laughs> a little bit like those ones it depends who it's coming from as well because uh we don't need to get into the whole like sexism on the internet right now but sure that's what i feel most is that people will just be like commenting on your looks or being creepy. And I'm like, cool, you're not here for the valuable content I'm offering. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we talk about this in our design issue group. And I know you've experienced that too, Sarah, that sort of thing. Yeah, I also got a comment uh, from like uh, an Italian saying, you speak English like an Italian. <laughs> and I thought, yeah, that's because I am Italian. You're like I am an Italian. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for the reminder. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, yes, uh, and? <laughs> yeah, so what? Cool observation. Thanks for adding yeah. to the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Just to quickly touch on the outside of the US thing that we brought up before a little more, you already talked about, um, you know, the discrepancies in the different markets and value and, and pricing and things like that. I feel like as a fellow creator based outside the US, I think I have purposefully tried to build an audience within the US because of the like opportunities that brings with sponsors and brands. And also it's just like a huge market on the internet. Like I find myself uploading at a time, going live at a time and things like that, that makes sense for a US time zone. And I feel like I am quite conscious of it. I'm wondering how it's been for you. Is the US something that like you make choices around? Is it something you're conscious of? Or are you like building a UK audience perhaps? Yeah, that's interesting. I never thought about uh, going live, uh, or like yeah, looking at the time zone in the in the states. Because I I tend to you know like I can mentor before work or after work, uh, but I don't care about the audience in in the states. And is it something I should consider? Um, yeah, I'm not sure. I feel like there is benefit with focusing on the market in Europe 
because there's less competition. Mm -hmm. But yeah, as you said, um, the US offers more opportunities to like collaborate with other brands. Um, and maybe it's the case of like finding a balance uh, between creating something for both worlds. But yeah, I also, um, I don't remember where I read this, but I remember reading or like watching a video about um, that says that um, if you live in the US or like San Francisco in big cities, you get more uh, traffic, more views on your YouTube. And I'm not sure if it's true, but can the location impact your content? I think it was the topic of another podcast, hmm. um, but yes. Definitely interesting. Uh, Gosh, that would be counterintuitive to creators like, you know, mobile lifestyle. That's one of the biggest benefits about being a creator. And then you're like, get pulled back to a city. That would just, if I, I'd hate to believe that was true, mm. but you know, I believe I, I definitely would believe it. Yeah, definitely like living in a big city is a benefit because if I say, hey, I'm a designer in San Francisco, in New York, that's so cool. If I say, I'm designing Brighton, UK, mm. maybe the, my audience in the States is like, don't care. <laughs> or maybe they do care. Like, where's that? Yeah. <laughs> maybe they do care because I'm based in the UK and it's interesting. Not sure. <laughs> yeah, I definitely found that I, I had a lot of growth in my channel when I moved to London from New Zealand. And I think it's because, I don't know, I think the city has something to do with it, that I had connections to more people there and I could, I don't know, perhaps upload and go live at a, at a better time while I was there. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Well, what are some of the benefits you think to being based outside the US? We talked about some of the downsides, <laughs> but what, what have you found to be some of the benefits? Well, the benefits, but it's less competition for sure. Mm -hmm. I, this is something that happened to me before. So if a brand wants to reach a, a new audience in the, in Europe, they're going to reach out to me because I know they're ba I'm based in Europe and uh, maybe some of my followers are also based, based here. So that can be an advantage. And I know that many brands, like big brands, are expanding from the States to Europe. So, you know, this is something that you could offer to your audience. And yeah, this leads to more opportunities. And also I feel like you become like, least for me, I feel like a hero when uh, uh, I get approached by other Italians for like, oh, you're so cool. <laughs> you're living, uh, you're working for a big tech company and you're, you left Italy where there are no many opportunities. And this depends um, on, you know, where the country you're from. But in my, in my case, uh, you know, the market, the job market for product or UX designers in Italy, it's, it's at the beginning. <laughs> there are just fewer job opportunities. And people always admire when I, when I talk about my story and the fact that I change country looking for new opportunities. So I sort of feel like a hero for my other Italian fellows. And also you can show them uh, that you don't need to live in a cool big cities uh, in the US to succeed. Agreed. I feel the same way about New Zealand too. <laughs> well, Charlie, isn't your ultimate goal to get back to New Zealand and be able to continue to do the work that you're doing from New Zealand? Obviously, given that we work remote, you could do that if you wanted to now. But hasn't that always been your end goal is to get back to New Zealand? I wouldn't call it a goal. I think a goal is something that like you have to work to achieve. And like you said, I could just go right now. It's more like it's the long-term plan to be closer to my family eventually. Yeah. And yeah, and you're right. Yeah. To have built something up that can keep running 
when I'm back there. Maybe I can do like Sarah and split half the time there, half the time over here in, in a house on the coast of Spain. Yeah. <laughs> that goes back to kind of the conversation that we were having about David is that like, that's one of the things about the creator economy that I find so appealing is that regardless of your circumstances or where you are born, if you have access to the internet, that you should be able to be successful. Mm. And so it's so funny from like an American point of view. I don't know, Miguel, if you think this at all, but for me, I'm like, I was talking to Charlie about this actually yesterday because I was like, gosh, well, if I fly five hours, I, you know, I just get to go to like Miami and, you know, or Orlando and that's not that cool, you know? I was I like, we get to Norway. Can <laughs> confirm Orlando is not that cool. I grew up there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm like everybody in the UK, you know, you hop on a two hour flight and you're somewhere really magical and amazing. And so for me, from somebody who's from the States, I've done a lot of traveling in the United States, but I have not done an extensive amount of traveling in Europe and elsewhere in the world. Mm. But I look at like travel blogs or travel videos and I'm like, oh my gosh, what an idealistic life. I'd love to go, you know, move and live there and experience what that's like. While your perspective is a little different and you're saying, well, there's not that many opportunities. And so I had to go elsewhere to create those opportunities for myself. And the creator economy is just this really beautiful tool, maybe, you know, like a, a tool for you to be able to live the life that you want, where you want, and be able to provide yourself income. So that way you can be where you want to be. And I just, I think that's amazing, but it's just really interesting to hear it come from a different perspective other than from myself as an American. Yeah. Well, well, speaking of Americans, we have a, a question here asking, I wonder why would a native American buy from someone who is not a native English speaker? My limiting in brackets belief is that all other things being equal, no one would buy from me. And I assume it's because this person has said that they're not a native English speaker. And I don't know, do you have any advice for them on changing this mindset, Sarah? Because like you said before, there's a strength, right, to having learned a different language and getting the confidence to speak mm. and make content in a different language. Yeah, exactly. Um, I'm trying to understand the question. Is it more about um, like English not being uh, so open-minded with people, you know? Yeah, worrying basically about people who don't speak English natively holding themselves back from launching something because they're worried that people who speak English natively wouldn't mm. wouldn't buy it or wouldn't respect it. Yeah, well, language barrier is a thing uh, because I can say like Italians are more uh, direct than British and I always have fights with my boyfriend because uh, he thinks I'm just uh, <laughs> I'm just angry. I come up like angry and like emotional but no this is just my way to express myself and rude sometimes huh? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah it can be a challenge sometimes huh? just like misunderstanding uh, behaviors huh? it was a beautiful book can't remember the title now it's about like all the different like the culture uh, um can't remember the name, but yeah, you talk about like the different cultures. It's like the Enneagram for cultures. <laughs> yeah, we can all like, um, yeah, express ourselves in different ways, but we shouldn't hold us back, especially, you know, if you think that uh, even like nowadays, the work environment, where it's full of people from all over the world and we speak English all together, like in my team, we are uh, a worker, we're all from different nationalities. And that's fine, because I think that, you know, that's the winning. It was, uh, yeah, the winning solution. It was, um, I had more imposter syndrome when uh, I used to work uh, at an office here and uh, 99% of my colleagues were British and I was the only one speaking a different language. But um, then I got used to. And um, 
yeah, that's you know the reality we're facing. We are all we all speak could speak English as second language. What I would say to this question is, I feel like yes, there are people out there that might be biased if somebody has an accent or seems very different on face value when they're talking about something. But I would, maybe this is just me being an optimist, but I feel like those people are in the minority. I feel the majority of people are pretty open-minded. And if you as a creator lean in to the fact that, yes, I know that I sound different. I know that I sound that I'm not a native speaker. Let's just take that for what it is and then move on. Or even lean into that and make that part of your brand. Like the fact that you are talking about UX, but you're the girl with the Italian accent talking about UX, that can be like your your cool thing. Like Brand identifier. Yeah, Exactly. You sound different, but you bring with that different background and the different culture, your own unique point of view that maybe somebody in the United States would never possibly be able to have because everybody in the US is kind of in the same culture in a way, and they have the same sort of approach to a problem. But here comes Sarah out of nowhere, out of Brighton, England, originally from Italy, who has a way different perspective than anybody from Tulsa, Oklahoma would have, or even New York or San Francisco or whatever. And that, I feel like definitely you can make that your, kind of like your secret weapon in a way. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, I'd like to believe that for me, because I was asking myself, I was like, okay, If I had a list of three creators that were all native or speaking a a different native language other than English, and, you know, there was one person that was doing the same exact content in English, if I would gravitate towards a Native American speaking English, I don't think it would matter the way that they were speaking English. For me, it would actually be the teaching style is what I like the way that I kind of thought, because I learn very in a very specific manner. And so somebody could be speaking to me, a native American could be speaking to me in English and I could not be hearing it or computing what they're saying because they're not speaking in my teaching style. So I kind of like tried to think through that question a little bit, like as if I was in that exact situation. And I don't think I would gravitate towards somebody that sounded just like me. I really think that it would I was trying to say content is king, you well, know, but I was like, well, you know, it is, but it's like what they're teaching and how they're teaching it, not how they yeah. sound teaching it, because I will learn better if it's in my teaching style. Mm-hmm. There we go. Hopefully they give some confidence to anyone out there who's worrying about this, that your your delivery and the way you teach and, and what you're making matters more. Well, let's end by, Sarah, you can... Tell us if there's anything that's coming up next for you, anything you want to promote, anything you want to share with our audience. Normally we do like a listener shout out here. And so instead I'm giving the shout out space to you to shout yourself out for anything. <laughs> Just point out the book I was talking before, it's called The Culture Map. There we go. We can put a link to that in the show notes. Mm. And that's so far one of my favorite books ever. I think I listened to the audiobook, but it's great. And this teaches about like the different culture, how they communicate uh, uh, together. So what's next for me? Well, little bracket, I've been posing on the creation over the summer. And it's something that I tend to do every, almost every summer now. It's just because uh, I think it's important for content creators to take breaks. Uh, and I'm not talking about three days break. I'm talking about, at least for me, one or two months break. 
to just recharge, uh, think about what I want to do next. Um, <laughs> and nothing bad happens. <laughs> I've seen content creators that they follow, like just disappearing and people get really, oh my God, what's happening? Are you okay? And they're just taking breaks. It's normal. They come back with a new style, with a new type of content. And, you know, why can kind of just take a break so for me next is to focus more on short form content also because my new job like i recently started a new job and it's more demanding so i'm focusing most of my energy on my full-time job and this means uh, i can still create content but it's going to be more like instagram reels uh, youtube shorts um, as opposed to 10-15 minutes long videos and then i want to get more into teaching and mentoring again uh, something that I, I find fun, I really like. And we were talking about before about being able to mentor in Italian and in English. I think it's kind of fun for me. And then uh, this might sound uh, like the opposite of most content creators where they start local and they want to go global. But I really miss hosting events uh, with a local community. It's something that I, I used to do a lot before the lockdown, just attending local events. I remember doing like a Webflow demo with a few other UX designers um, at a local pub. And that was super fun. fun. So I would love to bring that back, which, you know, might sound like going a step backward, but it's fun for me. And I think it's also good. And as an extrovert, uh, you know, like being around people energize me, doesn't drain me. Creating content by myself drains me. Hmm. And that, that could be something fun that I, I want to do more. And also want to get better at telling stories in general, like through vlogs, uh, yeah, using like narrative, because that's the content I enjoy watching the most on YouTube and, and Instagram as well. So that should be fun. But uh, everything is going to wait until September or October when the weather starts to get really rainy again. <laughs> And then you go hibernate into your content creation cave again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Follow Sarah on Instagram, instagram.com slash sareta.ux. And we'll also put links to her YouTube channel and a website where you can check out the mentoring calls, especially if you're an Italian listening to this and you're like, I want to have some design mentoring in my own language, then great. We know exactly the place you should check out. <laughs> That'll all be in the show notes. And thanks so much for joining us and, and sharing everything all the vulnerability around, you know, learning a language and, and the struggles that come with it. We really appreciate it. Nice one. Yep. All right. We won't be here next week, but. Yep. Good point. We will not be here next week where the team is going on a, on a company retreat that I sadly will not be at. I'll be having FOMO from home and uh, <laughs> yeah, we will not be recording because I'm not doing a solo episode, but join <laughs> us the week after. And I think we'll be joined by a creator who we have made a, a film about in the past. And uh, I'll just leave the mystery there that you're going to want to join and hear about how to maintain high open rates. It's going to be great. Ooh, Thanks for joining us, everyone. See you next time. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening to this episode of The Future Belongs to Creators. If you enjoyed it, be sure to subscribe so that new episodes appear in your podcast feed every week. And while you're at it, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'd love to hear what you think of the show. If you want to join us live for the next recording, you'll find us on ConvertKit's YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash ConvertKit every Wednesday at 1230 Eastern. This show, like everything we do at ConvertKit, is made for creators by creators. 
We're on a mission to help creators like you earn a living online, and we make software that helps you build and connect with an audience of loyal fans. ConvertKit is the best way to launch or grow your next creative project. So to start building your audience, go to convertkit.com slash free and create a free account. We're looking forward to helping you on your creator journey. Thank you.